Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Happy Halloween, Ben. Oh, is it Halloween? Is this the is this our our, uh, our spooktacular? We've had a spooktacular. Yeah, you've heard the special theme song. Oh, with the with the uh, rattling chains and the moaning uh-huh. ghouls. Yeah, that's all you have to do to make it a special Halloween theme song. You just like whatever the sound smoke makes. Yeah, yeah. Some of that in there. There's mm. probably some thunder, right? A wolf in the distance. <laughs> that's probably what the wolf sounds like, right? That's no, going like ooh hubba hubba, and uh, <laughs> licking its lips because we're such sexy podcasters. Oh, uh, they—that's where the wolf whistle comes from, right? Right. That, uh, yeah. Yeah. I can't even whistle. I can't it, whistle on cue. It's all the scary sound effects, and then one horny cartoon wolf. <laughs> yeah, horny wolf kind of ruined it for all wolves, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Because not all wolves. I think we can all agree. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Most wolves are vicious. Did I ever tell you my wolf story? It, no, there you were, didn't. <laughs> say, uh, I, I'm just delighted that you have a wolf story. I went to a very like progressive high school. Um, very like. Uh, Interested in um, you know ecology and being good stewards of the earth kind of a vibe to this place. You don't say. And for like a morning, you know, symposium one time, they they brought like a wolf conservation expert who brought a wolf. Whoa! And they didn't tell anybody that this was happening, so it like you like you you don't know if it's going to be a morning meeting or a morning symposium. You know, it's just like. I think it was like two different times per week we had one or the other. Uh, usually it was morning meeting, but uh, we, we filed in. I happened to get a front row seat for this. Pretty good chance at the school you went to that it could be a symposium. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You never know. And what do you know? I got a front row seat like three feet from where the wolf was going to be. Wow. And a wolf is a bit like a, you know, a rifle. Like if you've ever seen like somebody, like a soldier with an M16. Uh-huh. It's very like it's very arresting because you're like that is a device that exists for the purpose of killing people, and uh-huh. that is like very much the feeling you get when you look at a wolf. And they're like, "This is a friendly wolf," and they talk to us about like how important. But it was. the wolf's like openly flirting with your classmates and stuff, just being a real sleaze about it. Yeah, yeah. It bore its chest and a heart palpitated <laughs> out of it. It dropped its jaw and its tongue unrolled. <laughs> Oh, yeah, the tongue trick. Mm -hmm. The wolves are very good at cunnilingus. It's a babe and got out a fork and a knife. Yeah. But it was a rainy day. They told us, like, hey, just uh, as you're leaving the main hall, uh, we're going to have the wolf out there on the north lawn to do its wolf business. Uh, Please do not open an umbrella. That is, like, the one thing. This is a very tame wolf, a very people-friendly wolf. An umbrella will set this wolf off. And inevitably, a friend of mine was walking up to the library for a class, and she uh, opened her umbrella, and I watched Why the, did she do that? She did Because she was a fucking high school kid, and she wasn't paying a ton of attention in the wolf class that we didn't know we were going to have that morning. You know what? I This is going to sound so ugly out of context. 
But uh, was she kind of asking for it? Well, yeah. What happened was the uh, wolf started moving assertively toward her in a way where, like, the wolf handler was, like, digging her heels in and, like, sliding across the lawn, like, Ooh. And, and, like, saying, like, close the umbrella. <laughs> Shoot her! Yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing happened. The umbrella uh-huh. got closed. It wasn't even, like, really rainy enough to justify opening one. Oh, that's the worst part. And I know that, like, as a most-of-your-life Seattleman, you know that... Very few Seattleites own umbrellas. There's almost no scenario a Seattleite would call a justification to use an umbrella, but... Right. This was even a stretch by Northern California standards, and, uh, yeah, the, like, nothing happened, but, um, yeah, like, it, it, it's one of those things where, like, it's really stuck with me every time I hear a in-flight safety announcement or something like that. Like, I'm not really like looking for the closest exit to my seat. And I know that just like my friend in high school, like when the fucking plane goes down into the drink and we need to make an emergency exit, I'm going to be the one that's like, fuck, I wasn't really paying attention. You're going to be heading to the exit not closest to you, Ben. Yeah. Like a a fool. Like a fucking idiot. But yeah, like I I think about it all the time. You're going to die in a pool of airplane gas <laughs> sorry buddy fortunately for me airplane fuel can't melt bones <laughs> i think we can be sure about that wow close encounter with a wolf yeah yeah good story yeah damn a wolf i don't know why, why did that come up i can't even remember oh because it's halloween and we're talking about scary wolves yeah yeah, I don't have anything as scary as that, but that's a pretty good Marin. <laughs> have you ever... <laughs> you never met a wolf? Never met one. I mean, you and I met coyotes in LA. That's true. Yeah, we've had close coyote encounters. Wolves are enormous. Yeah, they're really a different thing. Like, if you see yeah. a wolf, it really makes you think a coyote is not a threat, which is wrong. A coyote is yeah. very dangerous. Yeah. They'll all fuck you up. Yeah. Human yeah. beings are very fragile creatures. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My dog is convinced he could take a, a coyote. Anytime yeah. I take him on a hike in one of our many L.A. hiking trails and he sees a yote, he he tries to pick the fight that would be his last, you know? Uh, my beloved dog Ripley is still focused on squirrels as her <laughs> as her main enemy in life. Size appropriate. Yeah, yeah. I, I think a squirrel would probably fuck her up. She's all very annoying bark and very few bites. <laughs> That's not my experience. <laughs> she, she's a play biter. Yeah. Uh, bite says love. That's what Ripley says. Mm. <laughs> well, uh, Adam, do you want to get into a, a, a terrifying, haunting episode yeah. of uh, Star Trek Voyager? Very spooky, Ben, is Star Trek Voyager Season 4, Episode 23, Living Witness. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. (laughs) Tim Russ's first and only directed episode. This was such a catastrophic failure that they never let him direct another. (laughs) It's funny. Tim Russ was like, uh, I went to Star Trek directing school. I waited in the queue for my turn. Yeah. I did the thing. I got a weird episode. I got a weird episode. I did a good job. And that's it. Like, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) I know what it's like now. That's all. And I respect it. I do too. You know, 
like it is a cliche in Hollywood of somebody saying what I really want to do is direct. Directing is fucking hard and stressful. And yeah. if you're also acting in the thing, I can imagine a lot of people finding it very distasteful to have to do both in a week. My main thing is trying to reduce the amount of things I think about. <laughs> and as I get older, I'm more rattled by mm. how many there are. Yeah. And uh, that's what directing is. Directing is thinking about every single thing. Yeah, yeah. It's it's adding an infinite number of to-do items to your checklist. Yeah. Our cold open is a Janeway's log, and it looks a little different than we're used to seeing. This, this log comes with leather, mm, leather yeah. gloves, and a tightly shorn haircut by Janeway. This is, I think, her fourth different haircut this season. She's got some moose in there. Yeah. She's giving herself some uh, some upward volume, unlike the last couple episodes. A little bit of a can-I-speak-to-your-manager kind of look to the <laughs> hairstyle, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, this is Dark Karen, and she is talking about her sort of philosophy of uh, when to apply violence. Yeah. And she turns around, she's in a black turtleneck, no com badge on the uniform. And I was like, wow, that is all it takes to make <laughs> a Starfleet uniform look very scary. We often see the Starfleets resign their commission by setting the com badge on the desk. And they're often talked out of this, right? Yeah. Like, put it back on, man. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to do that because as soon as you walk out that door... The leather gloves get put on and you get a haircut <laughs> and shit gets real dark. We often don't see the next step, but this is the next step. It's it's gloves and a haircut. This would sharpen you up and make you ready for a bit of the old ultraviolence. She's uh, talking to this dude who uh, wants her to kill Curians. Yeah. And uh, he's like, you know, we we know you can do it because uh, you're the ship of death. Your reputation in this quadrant precedes you. And they're brokering a deal, right? It's like, you kill all these baddies for us, we are going to show you where a special wormhole is that will take a lot of time off of your journey. It is, uh, it's a wormhole for murder. And this seems like a great deal for this version of Janeway. She, she leaps at the opportunity to take him up on this trade she does nothing more tempting i mean the, there is a little bit of back and forth about like so we're gonna risk our lives to kill your enemies yeah but that's a negotiating ploy right like i think we see in a little bit how much she relishes the killing there's coffee in that violence right because like if she was really worried about it i think she would want to like see something that would be some some sort of satisfactory proof that this wormhole is real. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty fantastic true. claim. Like, oh yeah, I got like a million bucks in a suitcase in my trunk. Yeah, You don't need to see it. <laughs> the banger interrupts this negotiation. And on the bridge, we see uh, some people in some different places than we're used to. We see some aliens that we aren't used to seeing. Neelix is at ops. Yeah. There's a Kazon officer with a rifle. And everyone is wearing these leather gloves. Yeah. You don't see any bare hands this entire episode. I mean, that would be unseemly, Adam. Yeah. Actually, I think I think you do see one bare hand because Janeway is doing that thing where she takes off a glove and like slaps it into her palm, <laughs> which is, I don't know why villains are always doing that. Like a begloved villain loves to take one glove off and like smack their palm with with the empty glove, right? 
say what you will about <laughs> the nightmare that this ship has become in this version of time, but uh, not many people are getting sick from touching surfaces right. in this timeline, you know? So there are some positives. Yeah, but they are, th- these these are people that are pro-glove but anti-mask, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> they rejected the mask mandates. Right. These are the Kyrians that have dropped bangers on Voyager, and they are the sworn enemy to Dalis people. Yeah. They talk about how they're going to attack this planet, and they uh, refer down to the doctor. And when we cut down to Six Bay, we see the doctor's head has like Soong type data parts in it, and he's all yeah. plugged into stuff, and he's got weird eyes. He looks like an android. Yeah. He looks like someone who's walked around the ship not wearing gloves, touching surfaces, and then touching his eyes. Yeah, yeah. It's very painful. That's uh, not what you want. He he should serve as a lesson to all of them. <laughs> yeah. Chakotay Tay has a much bigger face tattoo. Yeah. See, I heard they were going to cancel Chakotay. Hmm. Not a lot of people are going to miss it, though, I don't think. Yeah. Was that a product of the... Uh, company that makes Klondike bars? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't miss Klondike bars either. What would I do for a Klondike bar? Fucking nothing. <laughs> Give me an it's it any day of the week. I'd turn around and walk away. <laughs> Dalith is shocked at how things seem to be escalating here. He was just here to do a, a simple deal, but like Janeway wants to use biogenic weapons in a kind of shock and awe strategy to end this war. Yeah, this is going to kill hundreds of thousands. And Dale is like, uh, kind of not what we were asking for. Like, I want them defeated, but, but this is genocide. Defeat, genocide. My quibble with semantics. This is a real over-deliver on, on an under-promise in a way that we're not actually cool with. But uh, it's too late. Janeway is pot committed and the doctor has plugged into the phaser array and we cut to the exterior of the ship and it looks like a redress of the Voyager inspired by that rifle that Guinan keeps behind the bar in 10 forward. Yeah. It's all nubby and terrifying looking. Yeah, it looks like the sort of ship if you were to rub up against it, you'd be wounded. (laughs) It would hurt badly. Yeah. They shoot these biogenic weapons via the phasers down at the surface of the planet. And uh, they also, like, lock up Dalith. <laughs> Whose fault is this, really? I mean, <laughs> it's not Dalith's fault. Dalith didn't want genocide. I can relate. You know, sometimes you get the process of a genocide started before you've really thought through the ramifications. And then you live a life of regret. Sort of a genocide snowball. <laughs> Once things start going, before you know it, all of the hooshnock are dead. Oopsies. There was no brig to fit me or my crime. <laughs> we cut to a man working a, uh, a display in a kind of museum setting, and they're watching Voyager do this to the planet. And he's starting to talk about what this is. There's kind of a record scratch. Yeah. You're probably wondering how Voyager got into this situation. (laughs) We're in a museum, Adam. It's 700 years later, pre-the burn. I know. I was thinking so much about that. (laughs) Like, how much do you have to be careful if you're Star Trek Discovery about this specific episode? I think very. Yeah. 
It would have been yeah. fun if some Kyrians or whatever had been part of the uh, big like diplomatic conference in, uh, you know, yeah. when they were trying to decide what to do with the DMA. What does this thing want? DMA. It would have been crazy to have run into the dock at some point too in his little shuttle on the way home. Yeah. Oh, hey, don't mind me. Just looking for my friends. <laughs> like, give it a post-credit sequence where it's just the doc cruising around. Maybe mm-hmm. he doesn't even interact with anyone. No. Yeah. No, he's just like, uh, huh? Interesting. I noticed that. Uh, what was the what was the mineral that they were looking for? That the DMA was looking for? Boronite. Oh, jeez. Boronite. Of course. I don't fucking remember. Yeah, me neither. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Look it up or watch that season of Discovery. Yeah, yeah. That is not what this show is about. No, it's not. We didn't have enough boronite ore left to synthesize more. These aliens, man. The uh the Kyrians. They look like if Bajorans just had the loaf daubed on but not sculpted. It's just like a little smushy crap on their face, but it doesn't really look like anything. They look like they've got tonsil stones in between their eyes. <laughs> I was horrified. Oh, by them. God, it's got to smell so bad in that museum. <laughs> All I wanted to do is stick a Q-tip back there and, and push it out. Mm-hmm. Yuck. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. They call themselves the Curians. Everyone else calls them the Halitosins. Mm. Yeah. Of course, it's locked in. Do it. Listen to me very carefully because I'm going to say this once. Do it. Ben, we're in a museum, which means we've got a docent here. Mm-hmm. And uh, our docent for the episode is named Quarren. And uh, he tells a tour group what happened to their people 700 years ago. Yeah. Uh, Quarren played by Jadan of the drumhead fame. I know. I take injections. Everyone knows that. Nice to have him back. Yeah. Welcome back, Henry Warrenitz. <laughs> yeah, the... Uh, Suffering of the Kyrian people has continued to this day. This is the thing they look back on, the Voyager incident, as being kind of uh, the moment that their fortunes changed. And uh, this is sort of a, almost like a Holocaust museum in a way. Like when you think about it, this is a museum that is about the like horrible crimes that were visited on their people. This is something that I feel like Lower Decks would have really leaned in on pretty hard in terms of like the way a museum works. Right. And all that. There's less of that going on here. I mean, absent the Q&A portion of the presentation that we get next. Yeah. I mean, this is a Star Trek trope, right? Like the uh, the museum showing a video of unspeakable violence. Yeah. Why are they showing a whale being butchered? Do they even know what <laughs> whales are? <laughs> there are some Vaskins, the type of alien that Tedrin is, also on this museum tour. Yeah. A couple of them takes some umbrage with the way this story is being told. They don't want critical Kyrian theory taught in schools. Mm-hmm. They don't want their kids knowing about this stuff. A lot of nice background acting this episode in terms of that kind of conflict, I think. Yeah, and you start to understand that the Kyrians and the Vaskids like cohabit this planet or several planets, but the, the Kyrians are sort of a somewhat marginalized community, relatively speaking. And this is a a way of like, you know, talking to all members of this society about like what factors led to that. And right. it's interesting because it's not super condemnatory of Dalith as a character. Dalith seems like he sort of got in over his head and <laughs> did something like that wound up being horrible for the Kyrians primarily, but not 
because he like set out to be as evil as the Voyager wound up being. Right. There are some questions that like people have at a flight museum, basically like how big was the Voyager and how many people were on it yeah. or whatever. And uh, the docent rightly is like, why don't we watch more footage instead of trying to answer your stupid questions? <laughs> <laughs> And in the footage, we catch back up with the genocide in progress. This thing that they've attacked the planet with has only killed 3,000. And Janeway is pretty let down by this number, to yeah. be honest. Yeah, it's not great. Down in a lab, Chakotay and Kim are like torturing a dude to try and find where this dude Tedrin is. Tedrin is a, a Kyrian that they're looking for. They hold a Q-tip up to the side of his nose, and they're like, "I'll, I'll push it out, man. I will do it. I won't even get super close-up video of it and put it on Reddit." And he's like, "No, no." <laughs> yeah, boy, uh, Chakotay's tattoo. Yeah, bears mentioning. Really go toe to toe with Q's tattoo in that one episode. Yeah, it's enormous. Mine's bigger. Claims to still be a, a man of peace, an enlightened man, but uh, but he rolls with these beasts. It looks like he got into Kim's hair gel here, too. Yeah, yeah, he's gone back to the Caesar look. Kim is uh, is getting ready to like hit this dude with a pipe, and the doctor intervenes and says, like, no, like that's too brutal a way of torturing. I remind you, he must still be able to speak. What I'm going to do is inject this guy with something that dissolves his ocular nerves yeah and uh it is painful if you're wondering yeah i mean it he says that the cerebral cortex will ultimately liquefy yeah that sounds bad too that's how they get this guy to to give up tedron's position it looks like there's agonizer boosts in the background of the scene like why don't they just throw him in there did you see those why, if you have an agonizer why not use it i know or was that their spore drive you know? yeah, yeah, it's hard to say. I don't know. All of this is bad history, you know, like speculation by historians based on imperfect artifacts. We will come to find out. What makes this scene even worse is that the doc has two hypo sprays and one of them has like a red ring and one of them has a blue ring. He gave him the rectal eye toxins, didn't he, Ben? <laughs> oh, God damn. <laughs> It's really a shame. I mean, I guess kind of intentional, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess that makes it worse. That's more yeah. more agonizing, isn't it? Like, not only are my eyes burning out, but that hypo spray was meant for a butt. <laughs> <laughs> you bastards. <laughs> Losing my eyesight is one thing. The indignity of this is another. <laughs> Up on the bridge, Chakote comes with the info about where they can find Tedrin. And the captain is not like super thrilled that this information was extracted under torture. You can't trust information you torture out of people. Yeah. People will tell you whatever it takes to make the pain go away. And that's the only reason torture is bad. <laughs> you ever stop to think about why you might have been glitter bombed, Ben? <laughs> Maybe some out-of-context statements. Yeah, yeah. This isn't Janeway's problem, though. Like, no matter how the information would, was extracted, she's like, all right, check out A, or however I pronounce your name. 
taking the salt team down and and pick up this guy. Yeah. Kind of weird. Like that's sort of how they pronounced his name in the first half of season one, I feel like. Yeah. It's a nice throwback, isn't it? Yeah. Some of the historicity of this stuff is actually pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> The Kyrians uh, managed to beam aboard. The, the Voyager is boarded in the engine room, and this is when they, they pull out one of their most devious tricks. Computer, initiate the Borg activation sequence. They've got domesticated Borgs on the ship. It's not just Seven of Nine. She's got a bunch of Borgs with her. Yeah. Like attack Borgs. Yeah, and Janeway uh, orders them to attack the guys who beamed in there and assimilate the survivors. Yeah. Scary as hell. Yeah. I've taught you much, my little droogies. And they're like really doing like dramatic, like action movie Borg shit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You see the Dracula tubules go in. Yeah. Janeway's like, yeah, go ahead and uh, assimilate as many as you want. Those those can be part of uh, team attack Borg Mm -hmm. if you like. Yeah. I mean, they're your problem now. Mm -hmm. They've nabbed Tedrin. They're heading back to Voyager. It's pretty exciting stuff. They take him to the mess hall, which I guess isn't the mess hall anymore. And I wanted to know about this version of Voyager history. Like, are they... Uh, yeah! (laughs) I got a question about the simulation we're watching. Uh, really dig all the gloves and and tattoos, by the way. Mm. Uh, my question is this. Where do these guys eat? (laughs) <laughs> they they shot that guy in the middle of the mess hall, but there are no tables there. There are no kitchen implements in that room. Are you are, are we supposed to believe that they all eat privately in their quarters? Is this a future that presupposes that they're beaming the poops out, but they're also beaming the food in? <laughs> <laughs> And uh, how simultaneously is that arrangement? (laughs) I'm going to go beam a hot dog into my mouth. Get a life. (laughs) Tedrin winds up being a pretty plain dude. He's just like a bone stock white guy with a little bit of loaf on his face. You know how there's the scene in the war movie where like the guy refuses to surrender, but it is the form of refusal that is like spitting in someone's face and double middle fingering their way uh, to death. Tedrin is a guy who is like a door-to-door salesman (laughs) who gets politely declined at the doorstep. Yeah. And then gets shot in the back for it. Yeah, he is like the member of the uh, Church of Latter-day Saints on mission who sees the mezuzah on the door. Yeah. (laughs) Just turns around. (laughs) I know you don't want to do it. Make it yourself. What do you make of Janeway personally executing this guy and uh, and his associate? Pretty hardcore. Pretty brutal to see. You always wonder like what goes into the decision of what the phaser's effect is gonna look like. Because mm-hmm. this is not phaser set to gore or even phaser set to vaporize. It's just phaser set to like face plant. You don't see the beam going in either. Like it's it's obscured by the birdie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we got out of an effect shot there. Yeah. That's good. I mean, there's a little glow, right? Isn't there a little glow? Yeah, but that's practical glow, right? Can't you just, uh, you got a, a person on a light switch making that happen. I think that that was an effects glow. 
You think? Yeah, I think I think they pulled out After Effects for that one glow. My love of practical effects is the reason for that suspicion. Yeah, well, you know. That's a projection, Ben. That's probably why Tim Russ didn't get invited back. Yeah. It's like, really? You didn't go practical for that? Are you kidding me? <laughs> so, so she ices these two characters and the camera pans over and one of the windows in the mess hall just like looks into the museum. Yeah. And Quarren is like still leading the tour. It's like the ride in uh, at the beginning of Jurassic Park. Hold on to your butts. I really tried to figure out whose decision this was visually because I think it's a really elegant way to do these transitions. And I'm just going to blame Tim Russ. I think this is a great idea. I Yeah. I mean, I think that that is a director choice, right? I think so too. Yeah. So... That's sort of the end of the of the Voyager encounter. After that, things just got real bad for centuries for his people. So uh, exit through the gift shop. <laughs> Maybe pick up some $20 novelty leather gloves, a mm-hmm. plushy Janeway. $50 gym bag. <laughs> Wonder why this gym bag costs this much. An enormous face tattoo, like too big for a kid. Yeah. What kind of kid with a giant face is going to have this temporary tattoo on him? And it doesn't feel like a weird and uncomfortable cultural appropriation when it's like the people that genocided you right. to wear their tattoo. Yeah. I mean, maybe distasteful. Sure. Outside of the context of a Halloween party, you know, like if the picture ever gets out, it might fuck with your ability to win public yeah. office. Like, did you think that that was a fun costume to put on? I mean- are you suggesting like a quad box apology might be the next step after pictures are released of a comically large, like an adult sized face tattoo on a child's face? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. All right. I mean, a child doesn't know any better. No, but still, (laughs) it's still a bad look. One of the exhibits in this museum is a torpedo casing from Voyager, which based on their rarity I mean, this is like an Argyle card. Yeah, yeah. That is the natural Jaeger of Voyager artifacts. And the guy's like, like, this is a museum that does not put velvet ropes around the priceless artifacts. Like, there's a museum patron just like elbow deep in (laughs) in this thing. And he's like, hey, yeah, that's actually a 25 megaton weapon. Uh, could, Could take out a whole city. I love that the docent does a bit here on this guy because docent bits are the driest bits, aren't they? They really are. Mega dry. (laughs) You put docent bits inside a bag of beef jerky so it doesn't get gross. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's how dry a docent bit is. Yeah, the desiccant of bits. Yeah. (laughs) The gift shop at this museum does swift business and chapstick because everybody's Uh (laughs) so dry on the way out. That's what she says. Uh-oh, Ben, there's a Vascan truther there. And uh, this guy takes great umbrage with the stories being told in this museum. Yeah. Some of his best friends are Kyrians. Yeah. Important to know that. I don't have a problem with your species. He doesn't like the implication that he has any personal responsibility for the oppression of the Kyrian people. Yeah. Uh, he puts a, a tough question to Quarren. He's like, so... Uh, you know, you've got like more artifacts to explore that have data in them. What are you going to do if some of the data contradicts some of the lies that you're pushing here? Corn mm-hmm. is like, well, if we find that, we will reevaluate and adapt our uh, understanding of the truth. 
a noble scientific stance that he takes there. I wish we hung on just for a moment with this guy in the aftermath of this answer <laughs> when he's like, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> Your facts aren't going to get in the way of my beliefs. Yeah, yeah. Later that night, Corin uh, has the museum to himself. and uh, God, you know he's jacked it all over the place in there, right? Yeah, just... Museum after dark? The fucking blacklight images of this museum are deeply troubling. Just sitting cross-legged on the torpedo casing? It's like a bird of rarest spun heaven metal. It's like an episode of Inside Edition. <laughs> it's uh, really bad. Yeah. I loved that the like simulation that they're looking through the window is in fact a holodeck. They're yeah. not like looking at a video that they've recreated. They're looking through a window into a holodeck. It's so fun. I love these transitions. He goes in there and he's now in Voyager's engine room, like engine room after dark. All the all the lights are dim, mm -hmm. sort of lit by the warp core. And he's doing the the thing of a scientist like talking to his tape recorder while he does the science. And the thing he is messing with, he realizes, is a uh, optronic data stream. It's a it's a hologram in there. Yeah. What could it be, Adam? It's what eye doctors use. Hmm. Did you go see an eye doctor? I didn't. No. Oh man, neither yeah. did I. The thing puffs in the docent's face. <laughs> it's like ah. <laughs> And then just like a out of a replicator materializes those weird sunglasses that they give you. <laughs> those Voyager bastards. <laughs> I'm going to have blurry vision for two and a half to three hours. Damn it! <laughs> I didn't arrange for a ride home. <laughs> I'm going to have to call an Uber. But then I'm going to have to come back here in an Uber tomorrow to pick up my car. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> oh, this is so inconvenient! How the fuck am I going to pay the parking meter? <laughs> it's a two-hour time limit. It's fucking 4 p.m. <laughs> it ends at 8 p.m. Do I just have to stick around here? Sit in a coffee shop and not be able to read a book even? <laughs> Fuck! Ben. Ben. You're really an artist with that bit. <laughs> <laughs> the doc appears, and uh, he, he he appears with his uh, his traditional opening line. Yeah, the docent puts in a Red Baron pizza in the microwave, and the doc appears wearing a <laughs> like a fighter jacket. Please state the nature of the medical emergency. Oh man, this is great. Initially. Uh, totally stunned to be in engineering without his mobile emitter. Then he sees yeah. that he's alone with a Kyrian and alerts the bridge that they have an intruder. He is freaked out by the Kyrian in a way that you, you know, based on your knowledge of Kyrians generally, yeah, seems a little unusual. Like yeah. he needs some distance between him and this guy. Yeah, it's like, you know, I mean, you, you hear about the oppression of Kyrians, but we also need to understand is that we've been trained through years of media bias to fear right. Kyrians. When the doc crosses the street to pass the Kyrian docent, I mean- It's very troubling. Just really makes you sad. Yeah. 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 And like the docent has to like go through life wondering if people are actually crossing the street or if they just had business on that side of the street, right? Right. 
Yeah. A lot of this stuff is subtle. It's true. Microaggressions, even. Mm-hmm. Hollow aggressions, if you will. <laughs> the docent tries to get through to the doc, explaining what day it is, and the doc doesn't believe it. And the doc is finally like, well, if, if it truly is the year that you're saying it is, what happened to Voyager and the crew? The understanding that they're long dead by hundreds of years. If there's one main criticism I have about this episode is that like moments like these could really punch you in the heart. But unfortunately, the doc is incapable because he's a hologram of like truly feeling the depth of that knowledge. Yeah. But also by virtue of the like the pace of the plot, he's right. not given a moment to really consider that fully in a way that might make you feel something. Because we have a ton of episode left to get through. And yeah, yeah, this does not feel like Ripley finding out her daughter is dead. Mm-hmm. It's a moment for sure, but we're past it pretty quickly. And Corin is like, oh shit, like we totally thought you were an android. And he's like, no, I'm obviously a hologram. And Corin is realizing that like some of the conclusions that they had come to about this event 700 years in the past were not entirely accurate but he's like yeah so like you probably need to uh, start readying your defense because uh you're not exactly a historical specimen you're you're really more of a defendant yeah there are other issues to be resolved what kind of issues Uh oh yeah because like the doctor was the dude that did the biogenic weapons. He's like the Men- Mengele of the story in the Kyrian version of the history. The doc's like, what are you talking about? And the docent is like, well, we are in a museum and we can watch the program. <laughs> and so they do. We're in a leather glove McLaughlin group next. Issue one. And we've we've cut back in time to the moment before the deployment of these bioweapons, right? And this is a meeting that is way more action-packed than McLaughlin groups usually are. Yeah, this is a version of history where the Maquis form of, uh, you know, controlling the lower ranks uh, held a lot more sway on Voyager. Yeah. And so there's a lot of punching and kicking and scuffles. Yeah, if Eleanor Cliff punched Pat Buchanan in the face over and over again. I would uh, I would tune in for that. <laughs> that's the version of the McLaughlin group this is. Yeah, my living room would look like a episode of Inside Edition if uh, Eleanor Clift routinely punched Pat Buchanan in the face. <laughs> Very jackable. The doc has some notes about this version of events. Pure fiction. This is absurd. Yeah, like why would Janeway break up a fight by shooting her phaser at her own computer screen? Yeah. That's just stupid. Yeah. Who does that? Yeah, it's like throwing your remote at the TV. Like, look at you. Now you need to get a a new TV. She hoisted herself on her own petard. It was just a baseball game. And, uh, you know, like I'm not this like mustache twirling android villain that I'm depicted as. Yeah. This is fucking bullshit. I'm I'm a nice guy. I'm a bit prickly. Sure. Sure, but look to, look at my eyes. They look nothing like that. Yeah. They're like like soulless gray eyes. They're nice looking. I have beautiful peepers. It's one of my best qualities. The doc can tell the docent that the Kyrians were aggressors, but the docent really isn't trying to hear this. 
Yeah. He basically uh, shuts him down. And he's like, well, you know, like, I'll show you what really happened. And we get to the scene where Janeway wastes Tedrin. Mm-hmm. And we're actually standing in the room for this at this point. And uh, <laughs> I, love, I love the line about Janeway halfway across the galaxy rolling in her grave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Such a lurid depiction of Janeway. Like, it really does not sit well with the doc. He's not a fan. It's actually a two-person coffin, me and Tom Mervins. <laughs> For the clothes you love to live in. Chakotay was buried separately in a bathtub. No one knows why. It was a very full coffin. <laughs> me and Tom Mervins and our many, many dogs. The dogs were buried in the coffin first. And then subsequent dogs were put into the coffin later when it was exhumed over and over again. Finally, we had to switch to a larger coffin to accommodate all of the dogs over the many, many decades that we lived. Is this another love me, love my dog demand? Yes. How could I ever refuse you? Thanks, honey. Many people criticized us for having too Egyptian of a burial plan. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine going to a funeral and like, me and you are at a funeral, and, and I'm, I like elbow you, and I'm like, man, this is really Egyptian, isn't it? <laughs> this, this is way too Egyptian, Ben. Yeah. Who the hell is this guy? It's kind of uncomfortably Egyptian, I would say. I barely knew him. <laughs> so the doctor is really like putting up a fight. Like, this is not the way it was. Mm-hmm. The Vaskins and us were doing like a pretty tame trade agreement and the Kyrians attacked us and Quarren is like I don't, I'm not trying to hear this man you could say that there are Vaskin differences mm. between uh, the different versions of events yeah not to be confused with vast deference which is right. a different thing I mean that's even more <laughs> different <laughs> but yeah. Someone needs to get into the circuits of this computer with a soldering iron and... Uh, yeah, rewire you know. some stuff. Quarren uh, <laughs> does not want to hear that Tedrin was a bad guy. No, I mean, that version of Tedrin was cool as hell, right? Definitely yeah. need to preserve that fucking hero <laughs> statement. <laughs> and it, So he just kind of like slams the phone on the doctor, right? He like shuts the program off without asking. Yeah, you hate to see it. Very mean. Yeah. Very childish, too. You know, he doesn't look good doing this. Like, I don't, I don't like the uncomfortable truth about my history. I'm not listening anymore. This docent, I think, could use a little bit of a break. But he's basically living at the museum right now. Yeah. And later on, he records his log where he sort of admits that, you know, I think the doc is telling the truth in some areas. It's just weird that they would have a doctor that would be so good at lying. Yeah. For what reason? Yeah. It may just be that some of my longest held beliefs (laughs) might be in dispute. (laughs) What am I to do about that new information? Yeah. You know, there's two paths at that point. There's, uh, you know, the Tulsi Gabbard path and the (laughs) more honorable path that this guy takes. The docent looks up at the wall and the camera tracks up and it's January 5th. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. No. 
So the doctor in talking to him said, like, if if we could find the medical tricorder that I used in some of these scenes, like I could corroborate some of my story by yeah. getting at the at the data inside it, assuming it survived. And the docent's like, does the tricorder you're looking for have a blue band or a red band? <laughs> <laughs> and what does that mean also? Because I put both of them in my mouth all the time. I'm yeah. the docent. I can do that. I have a sort of like puppy slash baby way of exploring the world. Like I, I like to taste things to get a sense of them first. Uh-huh. The red one is piquant. Yeah. It's got a lot, a lot more flavor to it, you know? Like that French guy that ate a bicycle and said that the chain was the best part. I'm willing to keep an open mind. That's the most I can promise. So the next day he goes and gets the tricorder, which is like, Man, like your priceless relic just sitting out on a table in the middle of the museum for anybody to walk away with. Yeah. Wildly trusting culture. This is like a children's museum, right? That invites you to touch. Yeah. This is like the, the tank of eels or whatever. But like- that, That's what they have at children's museums, right? But like when you've got Vaskins routinely coming into the museum and like yelling at you for telling a version of history that they find uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't like- not Larry David, like, putting on a pair of shoes at the Holocaust Museum and wearing them out. They really knew how to make a shoe back then. Yeah, well, they had cobblers. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be concerned that somebody might be trying to erase this. Yeah. Especially based on what happens later. Right. But he, he takes this uh, tricorder into the simulation, boots the doctor back up, and they get to work on it. Inside the Voyager encounter program, the doc and the docent have kind of a heated argument about what really happened and what might happen next to the doc. Yeah. And the doc wants to like do his version of the program. He's like, let me show you the way I remember it. And you tell me like what you think. We cut to the program that the doc has created and he's not wearing pants like ever. And his dick is really impressive. I'm quite adept in the art of holographic programming. It is like end of Boogie Nights. Holy shit. That's what the big deal was. I get it. It's so big, dude. I get why people were paying him 10 bucks. I am a big, bright, shining star. It's incredible. It's not quite a fire extinguisher. (laughs) It's like a a fire extinguisher you'd find in a race car under a seat, you know? Right. Yeah. Or like in the overhead compartment on an airplane. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's it exactly. They're in the captain's ready room and she's making this deal with the Vaskin ambassador guy. Hey, Ben, the gloves are off in this simulation, huh? Mm, Yeah, yeah. It's a bare knuckle simulation. (laughs) Uh, and, uh, And the deal is not like we'll show you our... Space, but her. Or, if you <laughs> kill our enemies, it's uh, we'll give you a bunch of dilithium if you give, give us some medical supplies. They're just the Vaskins just want medical supplies from the Voyager. It is a boring ass trade deal. Yeah, it's like fuel for ibuprofen. <laughs> yeah, the doctor knows about this exchange because he has been asked by the captain to prepare the medical supplies, and so he's done that. He's got the supplies ready to go in cargo bay one. But there's a banger that gets dropped on the ship, and uh, that is the attack of the Kyrians. And they're being fired on, and the Kyrians are not responding. 
And this is uh, just like a totally unprovoked attack. I like that canonically the Kyrian's weapons work just as well as we know them to and that they can beam through shields because they've boarded the Voyager and they're in engineering. Yeah. And Bad Tedrin is like taking seven hostage and he takes engineers hostage. Yeah. This is a bad deal for everyone. Yeah. I've got to get that platinum. Get that robe enlargement. <laughs> I've got to get that platinum. What now? Are you planning a heist? Gold. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name and not a giant social media company's name with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. 
The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. The captain, the doctor, and the uh, ambassador guy like go down. They head towards Section 31, which caught my attention. <laughs> After everybody's been wearing black turtlenecks and gloves this whole episode. <laughs> they don't get the mess hall right again. It's still empty. Yeah. It's after hours, you know? Because Janeway, uh, Dalith, and the Doc have tracked the intruders down to there. Yeah. The Doc goes in first in order to draw some fire, which does not come. But this does yeah. impress Dalith for uh, how how heroic he is. And uh, <laughs> that was one moment where I wondered if the doc had like written written that line for himself. Yeah. A little ego boost in his own version of history. That's big fun. <laughs> God, you think things are going to wrap up here with no more bloodshed. Because when Tedrin's down, you think the danger's effectively over. But then Dalith shoots him when he's down and you're like, oh, God. <laughs> What the fuck, Dalith? What are you doing, Dalith? <laughs> yeah. Dalith seemed like sort of a hapless guy that like got in with a bad crowd in the other yeah. version of history. In this version of history, Dalith seems like a real fucking asshole. We would need help if we wanted to destroy you. Yeah. I didn't think he had it in him. Yeah. It's bad stuff. Tedrin is killed. The doc scans him with the medical tricorder. He's like, yeah, sorry, nothing I can do. Yeah. The thing about when uh, Kyrian dies mm. is their tonsil stones just kind of fall out onto yeah. the ground. Mm -hmm. And everybody's like, oh, God. Ugh. They do that thing instead of like when you when you wave your hand over their face and their eyes closed, you wave your hand over their face and the tonsil stones fall out. <laughs> <laughs> and then our family members keep the tonsil stones yeah, as kind and, of a memento. And post a video of them coming out to Reddit. Yeah. Very entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, why do we even go on Reddit? <laughs> the doc continues to give background to the story, which is great because we realize that this is a simulation that's being attended by another tour group, but it's no ordinary tour group. It's like a, uh, a tour group of politicians, right? Government officials or something. Yeah. yeah. There's members of both species in this tour group, and the lady Halitosin feels that she is there purely as sort of a an act of tokenism. Please, this isn't about race. It's always about race. But the Vaskin dude is like very interested in hearing this because it does go a long way to sort of redeeming some of the horrible stories people tell about his people. So he's like, yeah, like I'm really into this line of research. We should keep looking into this. Things come to a point with the information on the tricorder. Like if they can prove what kind of weapon killed Tendron. <laughs> His, his name is Tedrin, right? Tedrin, yeah. They probably call him Ted yeah. around the office. Right. Teddy to his friends. If it was a Vaskin weapon that killed Tedrin or a Kyrian weapon that killed Tedrin, uh, that's pretty crucial information. 
in this conflict. It really is. And, uh, you know, it'll, it'll help them understand what role Voyager played and understand the origins of this conflict more fully. And mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> the Halitosin lady is like, I think instead of doing this, we should arrest this fucking doctor and charge him with war crimes. Because he is a war criminal! <laughs> he hooked those houses into his head and then shoot feather beam down on our planet and kill hundreds of thousands of people! <laughs> Why are we listening to his story? <laughs> this like giving Joseph Mengele the budget to make his own film! Why would we do that? <laughs> this lady's pissed. Yeah. And it appears that she and the lead arbiter on the other side are at historical erasure heads. <laughs> okay, Paul! But the lead arbiter gets the final say because his people are in a slightly higher esteem, culturally speaking. Yeah, kind of proving the point of her tokenism, I yeah, guess. Really, really does. Yeah. So they get to work on like decoding this tricorder and they're like working on unlocking the secrets that it holds. They have an interesting conversation about BLT who has uh, notably not appeared in the simulation because presumably Roxanne Dawson was on family leave. But um, this is when bangers start getting dropped, not on the simulated Voyager, no, but on the museum itself. Museum bangers. Yeah. The most dangerous kind. There's a lot of fragile stuff in a museum. Right. And these are bangers that a, no velvet rope could hold back. Yeah. We, we see that the museum is under attack and it's the Kyrians pouring through the doors. Yeah. And the reason why is that uh, the truth is so frightening to them that their only choice now is to just bust in and break a bunch of stuff. They're looking for this Mike Pence guy. <laughs> Can't find him. And some Kyrian shithead puts his boots up on uh, Janeway's ready room desk. Yeah. yeah. Sucks. Pees in her desk drawer. Yeah. Is that your idea of political protest? Really? The docent, like, impotently tries to stop them. Like, and he just gets shoved across the room. These guys have pipes. Yeah. What is the docent going to do? I was scared for him. I thought for sure they'd power up the dustbuster that they have in the exhibit or something, you know? That dustbuster is like is established so many times visually yeah. and it went, like there's a whole scene that opens with like a close up on the dustbuster. I was like I know. somebody is getting wasted with that thing and it never comes into play. Yeah. Yeah. Never does. This place is thoroughly fucked over this museum yeah there's like a the morning after the big high school rager kind of energy to the next scene where you know the light has come up and the museum is uh is in terrible shape they can't find the tricorder that's that's one issue that they have yeah the other issue is the guy passed out and sleeping on the stairs like how drunk do you have to be to sleep on stairs they're like does anybody know this guy (laughs) Was he even at the party or did he sleep on these stairs? I think he works at the grocery store. (laughs) (laughs) So weird. How does anyone know him? So the doctor is like looking at this, looking at the wreckage that the truth of his existence has led to. And he proposes, I'm going to decompile my program or I'm going to teach you how to decompile my program. Like if, if I am like this catalytic to racial violence in your society like 
get rid of me. I can't do that to you. Then I'll do it myself. No! His point is so interesting here. I mean, this is the central point of the episode. Like, do facts really matter? How much do they matter if those facts are centuries ago? And wouldn't it be better if we could just lie to preserve the peace? Like a family that doesn't talk to each other about hard things. Yeah. Kind of an interesting position for the doctor to take. Yeah. I can kind of understand it from a, like being horrified at the violence that has broken out Mm -hmm. on your behalf. But also, like, he's a physician and a caretaker. And so, like, you would think that, like, some psychotherapy knowledge might be part of that. And it it feels, like, very counter to that school of thought. Well, the one time the doc dabbled in therapy, uh, bad things happened, right? That's true, yeah. (laughs) So he's he's taking a sort of anti-therapy stance. Yeah. I love the realization that this too is a simulation. Yeah, this is a a thing that is done all the time in Star Trek. Like we we're still in the holodeck, we're we're not out of the simulation yet. But this is such a a unique take on that, which is we are in a different museum watching a history of how our people established peace among each other. I love the idea that every single thing in this episode is a part of that simulation from yeah. the beginning to the end, like all the conflicts and the arguments about about everything. It's great. It really is. It's an interesting button because the lady leading this tour is like, yeah, so the doctor, you know, was our medical chancellor for a while, but then he took off to go, you know, find out whatever happened to the Voyager and uh, we never heard from him again. And uh, that's the way the EMH is written off the show. He shot a guy and stole their shuttle. (laughs) (laughs) He knocked up like a lot of people. Like there are six Kyrian children that look like the doc. There's Vaskins, there's Kyrians, and then there are people that are sort of like half hologram here. Yeah. That's where they came from. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. (laughs) What a man. (laughs) Did you like this episode, Ben? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. I do like this episode. The episode really scared me at the end because I thought it was going in the direction of the, like, history doesn't matter argument that the doc is making. Hmm. I was, like, looking at the progress bar creeping across the screen and I was like shit like how are they gonna like how is the end of this episode just going to be the doctor saying the truth of history doesn't matter if it's too painful for people to bear right and I like that it doubles back and uh, sort of ends on the opposite take but hard to square the existence of this episode with the EMH being on the show going forward right like haven't we been told that it's like impossible to make a second instance of him before? I don't know. I mean, this is an episode that glosses over that aspect to it, that that during the attack in an emergency situation, the ship created a backup and that backup was then stolen. I don't know. It, it seems as though this should not be possible, but I mean, it clearly <laughs> does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I don't know, but um, I really liked the the message of it, and I liked the kind of story structure of it. If it's a bottle episode that isn't 
like a super perfect fit in the continuity of the show. I'm totally fine with that. Well, yeah, I I think, you know what? I think you just answered your own question, Ben, because the entire thing was a simulation. I believe that there are still many aspects that may be not entirely true. And so the idea of how the dot got there might not be factually correct either. Yeah, I wonder if they thought about having more like visual mistakes in the second version and the doctor's version of events. Yeah. Like the combat just don't look right or people have the wrong number of pips or something mm-hmm. because that is also recreated from history. Neelix's food is just so good. <laughs> Everybody loves Leola roots. The reason that no one's in the mess hall is because it's a riot in there every time <laughs> trying to get to the front of the buffet line. They just did away with it. How about you, Adam? Did you like this episode? I did, but it made me sad because it just made me think about how much value we place on our own history and like how our history kind of leads us around on a leash so often, like as a culture and and politically, you know, like the importance that we put on like societal figures or political figures of like centuries ago. And I'm talking specifically like about originalism and the founders or whatever. Right, right. It's insane and it keeps getting more insane that originalism in any form is tolerated, you know, as the er philosophy, mm-hmm. either politically or or for our society. It just, it sucks. Like we should be moving forward and not looking back. And so some of the questions that this episode asks about how much weight we put on those things, I mean- you could both sides this argument in the context of this episode. Yeah, but I think that that's like one of the strengths of this episode is it, it, it really does force you to reckon with both things. Like we want to be forward looking. We want to build a future that's better for everyone. We also need to not ignore yeah. the things yeah. that have led to and and like there are tempting ways of going too hard to one side or the other of these of these arguments. That's why being a cafeteria historian is bullshit. Like it's all history or none of it is. Like right. take it or leave it. Yeah. But that's just not how things work. Which is why I choose to leave it. Yeah. Because I can't take all of it. Too much. Yeah. Hey, Ben, <laughs> let's just live in the moment, man. You know where I want to live? The priority one inbox. I think when we get over there, the hair and tattoos are going to seem a little different. <laughs> and what we were expecting. Sounds great. Yeah. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from Heath, the Clemens pimp. (laughs) You remember Heath, right? I think I do. And it is to Ben. That's me. Message goes like this. Hi, Ben. It pains me deeply. I'm sending cash that doesn't necessitate a Clemens impression. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that, Heath. I want to wish your growing family every happiness and be the very first person to offer you unsolicited advice. Wow. Yeah, nobody's done that yet. Consider renting a snoo. (laughs) It saved my sanity. All my hopes. Also, for both, which Trek conveyance would you like to be blown out of the most? Man. Ben, my question for you is, what is a snoo? A snoo is a very fancy uh, bassinet or crib or something that has like, I think it's like motorized to rock the baby 
Oh, is that a thing that delivers food? You'll see like driving on a sidewalk. You can just have <laughs> have a snoo drive your baby home from a, yeah. a dinner you're having. If you ever see one of those driving on a sidewalk, assume there's a baby in there. Okay. No, yeah, it's like, I don't know. And they cost like $1,700. So like most people can't afford them, but you right. can rent them. Oh. Because, you know, your baby is an infant for a finite amount of time. Yeah, but babies are also filthy. So a used snoo is kind of a, a hose it out situation. You would hope. Yeah. I don't yeah. want a poo colored snoo. Yeah. We've considered it. He, our baby is actually sleeping really well. We're putting him down for, you know, six hour stretches. So we get up in the cool. middle of the night and feed him once and then get back to bed. And we're actually doing okay in that in that regard. But if it, if it starts to become a problem, I definitely am aware of the snoo and I appreciate the advice. The difference between four, five, and six hours of continuous sleep is enormous. And I'm saying this as a fucking puppy man. Like, my shit isn't bad at all sleep-wise compared to what you're going through. But it felt like once we crossed five hours into six, like, that was an amount of sleep that did not reduce me into insanity. Like, that was a that was enough yeah, to get totally, by. Yeah, totally, totally. Our next P1 here is from... Well, you got to answer the question. Which oh, Trek oh, conveyance yeah. would you like to be blown out of? The D. It's always the D. Yeah. I don't want to see something hit the D that makes a hole in the side, but if it gets me and Adam blown out of it in something, worth it. I want to be blown out of the D, but sucked into something else, right? So, <laughs> So, like, there's been a rip in the side of the ship by some space butthole, and it's sucking. It's sucking real hard. Wow. And then I go flying out of the ship, but I get sucked into this space butthole. Who knows where I've gone? Yeah. Maybe I'm a lerve. Wow. Maybe yeah. I'm not. There's some hope. But either way, I'm not just blown. I'm also sucked. And that's what I want. Folks listening will know that there's a uh, Event Horizon special bonus app yep. over behind the paywall at MaximumFun.org. Here I come, motherfucker! Big fun. There's an extended decompression scene in that mm -hmm. movie. I, f I feel like, you know, I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth. We're lucky that the Star Trek industrial complex would even consider blowing us out of a hole in the side of a ship. We're lucky they don't sue us to Bolivia. Yeah, but if they did, it would be really fun to have a scene where like one of us was holding on and the other was like, yeah. You know, had the other one by the hand, and it's like, don't let go, don't let me go. Yeah. And then, you know, you see the fingers, like, give up one by one on the edge of the console or whatever, and then we go into the space butthole. Yeah. That'd be cool. Where maybe we lived. Yeah. Maybe that's the Nexus. Maybe we're on a ranch in Montana riding horses with Jim Kirk. God. Cooking eggs. If it's just fucking Victorian Christmas every day <laughs> for an infinite amount of time, I'd fucking drop Kirk's space toaster into the bathtub with me. <laughs> just end it. <laughs> Adam, our next priority one message is from Notorious FOD, and it is to Benjamin R. Harrison. That's me. Hey, Ben, when Dr. Bashir stays over at your place, does he sleep in your bathtub asking for a friend? Mm. Also, Ben... If Kevin Axbridge wanted to visit Africa, what advice would you give him? It doesn't take a lot to get me telling you. What are the risks of getting schismed while on the trip? And 
Would it help to take Rolaren or Wesley, the boy, with him? Please do all the drops. The boy. Let's see. Uh, I'm guessing the risk of getting skizzmed are pretty low if you know you know where you're going and what you're doing. Um, I would take Ro Laren with me for sure. I do not think I would take the boy with me though. I am a traveler of all of space and time. Yeah. And Bashir does sleep in my tub. I, I don't want him, you know, we <laughs> we throw enough peed on bed sheets in the laundry in my house without Dr. Bashir sleeping in the guest bed. Just an evergreen comment by you, Ben. <laughs> and if Kevin wanted to visit Africa, what advice would you give him? Uh, Kevin, try not to genocide anything over there. Yeah, they've, they've had enough hardship. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, if you'd like to leave a priority one message for a friend, coworker, or loved one. Or me. Yeah. You could try writing one to me next time. That'd be cool. I don't see what the upside would be of that, but... Yes. Yeah, I guess we could try anything once. Hmm. Go ahead and uh, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set it up today. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I did. I'm going to give it to the uh, Race Riot crowd. It's a kind of a collective Shimoda. <laughs> sure is, yeah. The people that run into the museum to smash stuff just do not look like they're dressed for a race riot. They look like yeah. they're dressed for, like business or something like it's like women in like knee length dresses with like long leggings underneath them and dudes in like the alien equivalent of suits but you know they just they don't look casual enough to be people that spontaneously rioted my shimoda is the same group of people but for kind of a different reason these guys are wielding batons or or segments of pipe that they look Afraid of swinging with any velocity, <laughs> they barge in there and they're yeah. like, like they don't even hit the the dinosaur bones. Yeah. Like, wouldn't you want to baseball bat those dinosaur bones? No one touches the dinosaur. They're just swinging at glass. I want to know what they thought that dinosaur did on the Starship Voyager. Like how they thought that factored into the Voyager incident story. Yeah, one of the great unanswered questions of this episode. Also. There are so few sets in Star Trek where there's an upper floor and a lower floor that you could throw someone off of during a fight. Oh, yeah. And this is that set. Like, no one takes a tumble down the stairs and no one Wilhelm screams off of a railing <laughs> into an airbag. There isn't a green plasma fire for anyone to fall into. I guess I was hoping for a more violent riot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> that's what I enjoy. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, <laughs> good Jamotas. Yeah. Let's talk about next week's episode, Adam. Why don't you head to gach.biz slash game and tell us how we will be recording season four, episode 24, Demon. Voyager lands on a demon-class planet in order to mine for deuterium. Shut up, really? To replenish the ship's dangerously low supply. That's not a real thing. Yeah, there's M-class, there's L-class, there's Demon-class. So the the Nuck planet was like sex-class? <laughs> yeah. Rise as a fuck-class planet? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Come on, there's no Demon-class planet. There is now, baby. Are you the roller or am I? I think I think you are. Or the, is me? 
is you, Adam. <laughs> All right, Ben. Well, right now uh, we are on the doorstep of a banger. Our runabout is on square 23. All right. And I've calibrated the game to take place on today, Ben. Halloween. Wow. I'm going to take these spooky dice in my hand. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Bad luck things happen on Halloween. I uh, see that naked now that we could hit. I'm worried. I'm worried for you. I'm worried for your commitment to continuing as a co-host on this show. <laughs> I rolled a six last time. A six gets us to the naked now. This is the stupidest timeline, so I'm fully expecting to roll a six. <laughs> Thankfully, I've rolled a two. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. It's hopped us over the banger wow. and landed us on square 25. Ben, the Demon Planet episode will be a regular episode. <laughs> recording in the nude in a, in a pool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Just a regular old demon episode. Okay. All right. Yeah. It is what it is. <laughs> well, that was a lot of fun, Adam. Wasn't it? We've got people to thank, my friend. Yeah. People without whom this would not be possible. And the first group of people I want to give a special citation to are those who support our work at MaximumFun.org slash join. You set up a monthly membership. You get all that behind the paywall content. Our recent Event Horizon episode, ton of fun. Yeah, yeah. We're doing new episodes once a month. We got lots of fun stuff in store. Yeah, I think you're really going to enjoy it. You go check it out. In the public television parlance, it's friends of Desoto like you, mm. those yeah. that financially support the show. Yeah, you hear that bank of phones ringing behind me? Yeah, that's people hearing the call right now, calling in, setting up their membership. It's weird. I see all the telephone cables, but I don't see any of the phones or the operators. Yeah. What is that? <laughs> They're all wrapped around your doorknob? Uh-huh. Kind of a bizarre contraption. Kind of yeah. a clockwork. Well, you know, some people have more elaborate ways of, uh, of getting there than others. Adam. You know what a freeway is of supporting the show, Ben? And I don't mean, like, a uh, place you drive your car talking about uh, leaving a review or hitting a, a star on your podcast app of choice yeah or just recommending it to a friend yeah we really appreciate folks that do that take a friend aside look at them in the eyes and say we need to talk mm -hmm. and then just sort of let that hang for an entire afternoon and then meet up with them later let them worry yeah yeah and then you tell them about greatest trek slash greatest generation yeah speaking of greatest trek that's our social media handle on instagram and twitter and those are also great places to talk about why you like the show use the hashtag greatest gen to talk about this show we got to thank our card daddy bill tilly who runs those social media accounts makes them real fun to follow check them out there's that good part of Twitter, right? The carve-out? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a Friends of DeSoto group on Twitter. Uh, you can join that. You can also join the uh, Discord, DrunkShimoda.com. Yeah. You can uh, sign up for our mailing list at gach.biz slash mail. You can buy yourself a t-shirt. That's true. At podshop.biz. Tons of great stuff over there. Get yourself a yeah. Friends of DeSoto phone case. How about you? How about you? Thank you, Nick Ditmore, for uh, making our show art and helping us get podshop.biz up and running we uh also got a shout out adam raguzia who made the janeway song original theme music based on the picard song by dark materia yeah check out adam raguzia's podcast adam raguzia podcast it is called it is called that he's also got a great youtube cooking channel 
I listen to it all the time. Uh, anything else we need to talk about? Oh, we need. Oh, Windy Pretty. Yeah. Come on. How could I forget? What are you doing? Oh my you God. can't forget our producer. He's fucking pissed at me right now. I can just tell. Oof. He's like listening to this audio, the raw audio. Wendy, edit this to be like further forward in the in the <laughs> credits, just so it seems like I'm not the the asshole that I really am. Wow. Uh, Wendy Brady, without whom this this whole operation would quickly fall apart. Yeah. And we appreciate everyone that supports the show, which enables us to work with a stone-cold pro like Wendy every day. Hell yeah. With that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager that Ben and Adam are recording from the surface of a terrifying planet. A demon class, which is a real thing. Maybe it won't be that bad. Maybe it's just uh, what they called themselves to keep people away. Oh, like a Greenland-Iceland thing. You get it. Yeah, that's clever. The old switcheroo. (laughs) Hey, why is everybody on this demon-class planet rocking Nook? have a full-on fucking stroke on the show (laughs) (laughs) maximumfun.org comedy and culture artist owned audience supported